Welcome to the Invested Dads Podcast, simplifying financial topics so that you can take action and make your financial situation better, helping you to understand the current world of financial planning and investments. Here are your hosts, Josh Robb and Austin Wilson. All right. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the Invested Dads Podcast, the podcast where we take you on a journey to better your financial future. I am Austin Wilson, research analyst at Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. And I'm Josh Robb, director of wealth management at Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. All right, Austin, how can people help us with our podcast? First of all, we would love it if you'd subscribe. If you're not subscribed, hit that plus, follow, subscribe, whatever button's on your podcast player, do that. And visit our website and sign up for our weekly newsletter where you can find out what we're going to be talking about that week. Little uh, show notes, little link to listen to it. It's a beautiful thing. Yes. So check that out. But today, it's the end of the year. End of the year. It's not too late. Not too late. To be talking about taxes. That's right. Tax planning and planning strategies Mm -hmm. that may help you save a buck or two on taxes here at the end of the year. That's right. And uh, for record, we cannot take credit for this podcast. Nope. One of our coworkers, Jessica Hinks, who we've had on our podcast The Everyday Advisor. That's right. She hosted a webinar and talked about this topic in great length. She has graciously allowed us to use some of that on our podcast. And so we're going to talk through some of those, but we really encourage you to check out her webinar because it is great. It's great. There's a lot more visual examples kind of walk you through these things. And we'll link that in the show notes. That's one reason why you should subscribe and get those show notes. Absolutely. All right. And these are year-end tax planning strategies. There's different times of year where you're thinking about different pieces of tax planning. This is year-end, seeing if you can do anything before the calendar year turns over. And just like when I'm talking about stocks, nothing we're talking about today, Ah, Compliance Officer Josh Robb here, is a recommendation. Now, something may be beneficial. It may fit your situation. We don't know that, though. So please discuss anything we talk about with a tax professional or your financial advisor before doing any of these strategies. To make sure that it actually fits for your situation. Absolutely. Because there's a lot of little nuances to all these. So Josh, start us off. We got six. So let's talk about number one. These are six tools that you could do between now and the end of the year to potentially help your tax That's situation. That's so many things. Yes. So but it may not all apply. That's but true. just six different ideas. All right. The first one is probably when a lot of people think about year-end tax planning. This mm-hmm. is one of the things that come to mind, which is tax loss harvesting. Hey, guess what? I bet almost everyone has some losses this year. Yeah. If you are invested <laughs> in the stock market or, bonds. or bond market, you may <laughs> have crypto. experienced... Yes, cryptos especially. You may have experienced some losses. Now, the concept here is that you heard us talk about being long-term investors and not panicking when the market goes down and don't sell when you're down, right? Oh, absolutely. But yeah, I'm just telling you right now, you need to sell when things are down. What's happening? Explain, Josh. Yes. So this is a tax strategy only. This is not a reaction to the volatility of the market. This is taking advantage of an opportunity when the market is down. As just put it in her webinar, it's making lemonade when you have lemons, right? Right. So market's down, no one's happy, but let's just use this as an opportunity. So how it works is if you have a position and let's say you bought it for $10,000 and it's done well and it's grown and now it's worth $30,000. So you've grown it by $20,000. That's a gain. Yep. That's great. Everybody's happy. The other direction, if I bought it for $10,000... A little while later, it's now worth $5,000. I've lost half that value. That's a loss. That's what we're focusing on in this topic. In that scenario, you could sell. You have $5,000 of cash because that was what it was worth when you Mm -hmm. sold it. You also are showing a loss. I lost $5,000 on that investment because I originally purchased for ten. dollars That counts towards your taxes. It offsets other things that have grown. 
Mm-hmm. That's the first job of losses is to offset gains. Now, if it's a long term, if you've held this stock or investment, whatever it is, for more than a year, so a year and one day or longer, it's a long term. If you held it for less than a year, it's short term. They yep. offset each other the same thing first, and then they can offset the other one, long term, short term, after that. The other plus thing is if you have additional losses after you offset gains, anything left over, you could take 3,000 of those losses and apply it against your income on your tax return. Yes. So you can actually reduce up to $3,000 of your income after you offset your gains. It's a great thing. So what you're doing here is you're selling, you're holding to capture that loss. Now, the government knows that you're getting a tax advantage here and they know that you're not selling because you need the cash or anything like that. You're just selling for taxes. So they made a rule. They call this the wash sale so or the wash rule. clean. Yes. Is that you cannot buy that same thing back until 30 plus days has happened. So 31 days later, you, you can buy that same thing back. Pause. Now, yes. Pause. This does yes. not, by the way, apply to cryptocurrencies. Cryptos are not considered in the same thing because they are considered... Property. Property, yes. So there, there's a different so, rules there. based on our understanding of the law, the wash sale rules do not apply to that. So you can sell and buy right back yep. as of now. Yep. That may change in the future. Yep. Okay, that's not what we're but here we're, to talk yeah. about. Yes. I did want to point that out. So we're talking real investments. Real, real investments. Invest- uh, but actual regulated investments. Yes, absolutely. So stocks, bonds, those type of things. So you have to wait 31 days to buy that same thing back. Or an equivalent to that thing. The government said, you know, if you held, I'm going to use an example, and again, not an investment recommendation, but if you had Apple stock and it was at a loss and you sold it, they don't want you buying Apple stock back in those 30-day window. They also don't want you buying like a futures Apple holding or anything that's related to Apple. Just don't do it. That's what they're saying. But what you can do is buy something else. And so a lot of times what people will do is they'll sell but they don't want to sit out of the market for 30 days. Because again, they're not panicking. They're not selling because they're They worried. want to remain invested. They want to keep growing their money and maybe recover during those 30 days if the market's going to turn around. And so what they'll do is they'll, maybe if they're selling a stock, they'll buy back either a different stock or a index fund or something that's, tracking, yeah, something that's tracking the market that you can participate in while you're waiting. Yeah, there's a couple of different ways to do this. Mm-hmm. First of all, depending on what you're holding, 30 days maybe you may be okay with holding cash. Yeah. That's not a it's, it's not, not a not, not saying it's wrong, yeah. Now, you could buy the quote unquote the market and just buy like an index yep. ETF, like a SPY, S&P 500 ETF, not a recommendation, but yeah. that's one that tracks the S&P 500. You'll get market returns for mm-hmm. a month. Or you can even if you sold a tech stock, you can buy a tech sector ETF. Yeah. Same and still kind of track thing. that industry. Yep. So those are some options you can do yep. that are very low cost. Yep. They're not considered the same as the company you're holding, even though there's that company's part of those yep. sectors. The opportunity there is that it does go up, but then when you sell that to rebuy back, you'd have some gains. So it reduces what you actually did. So again, think it through. Holding cash isn't the end of the world if you just wait 30 For days and buy back yeah. in, whatever. But that's tax loss harvesting. Have to do it before the end of the year because it's for this calendar year. Correct. So great idea. You don't have to buy back by the end of the year. It's just the sell that matters. Mm-hmm. So you could sell it on the 30th as long as the market's open that Whenever day. Whenever you sell, you and realize the loss. That's when you realize it. Yep. So that's one tax loss harvesting. Strategy one. I'm going to flip it. Strategy two. Okay. Gains harvesting. Well, the opposite sounds like. Well, why would I want to create taxable gains? I just told you when you buy something for 10000 grows to thirty, twenty thousand $20,000 is gains. You're taxed on those. If it's in a taxable account... You're taxed on those gains. Kind of. Potentially. Exactly. Well, you're always taxed on them. Yeah. What tax bracket you're taxed That's at is important. That's my question, yes. Yes. So this is very important for people who have low income years. 
So let's say, for instance, you're someone who is retiring and you retire. And in that first year retirement, you have saved up cash in your savings account and you're going to live off of that cash and not need any withdrawals or anything out of your portfolio. In that year, you're really not going to show any income, maybe Social Security or some little income, but hardly anything. That would be a great year for this concept. And what you're doing here, it's the reverse of what I just talked about. You're now selling the things that have grown. And what you're going to do is you're going to only sell the things that have grown until your income reaches a certain threshold. Yep. And the reason why that's important is capital gains are not taxed at your income brackets. They're taxed at 0, 15, and 20%, depending on where your income is. It's a nice, fun, crazy calculation that they do. It's roughly in this year, $41,675 for singles, roughly, and $83,350 for people who file married. If your income is below that, any capital gains until your income gets there is tax-free instead of the 15 or 20%. You can play the game. I want to get all the way up to that number without incurring any additional taxes. So let's say I had $60,000 of income. It doesn't mean I have to have zero. I just have $60,000 of income. If you're married, you could incur I could then do another more. $23,000 yep. of additional capital Without paying gains. additional taxes. Yes. Now, there are some caveats to that. First, when you create other income, if you're collecting Social Security, certain things, they may be taxed more. So watch where your income, adding additional capital gains may not charge any tax there, but it may cause other things to be taxed at a higher rate. Yes. So just keep that in mind. The plus side, though, is because you're not selling for a wash, there is no wash sale rule. You're not washing or turning your loss. This is a gain. It's a taxable event. Yep. Although your tax is zero because you're staying in the bracket, it's still a taxable event. So if wash so, sale rule doesn't apply... You could buy it right back. Right away. Sell it. Wait for it to settle. It usually takes a day to settle or two. Yep. And then buy it right back. Nice. So all you're doing there is just zeroing or resetting the cost, cost basis. basis. So if mm-hmm. I bought it for 10, grew to 30, and I have the flexibility, I could sell it at 30 buy it back, and now my new cost basis is 30. So I have zero gains going forward at that starting point. So another great way. So there's loss harvesting and gain harvesting. Those are the first two tax strategies. One or the other may apply depending on where you're at in your tax situation. Right. Kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. That's right. Third one, QCDs. Oh, I love acronyms. And we've talked about these before. We have. Qualified charitable distributions. Questionable charitable distributions. (laughs) It depends on where you're putting it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So qualified charitable distributions. We've talked about that again in our... Old episodes, we talked about IRAs and we talked about distributions. This is a distribution that comes out of an IRA and goes straight to a charity. They're great. There's some rules to that. You can only do up to $100,000 in QCDs. You could do it anytime after you turn 70 and a half. It's not in the year you turn 70 and a half, by the way. You have to actually cross that 70 and a half. Birthday plus six months plus one day, then you can start doing QCDs, right? Not confusing at all. And don't worry about no, it. No, no, no. Government likes nice, simple things. What? Why the I know, heck? right? A half year is oh, just ridiculous. Know. Yeah, who knows? But Actually, 70, and a half, table. 70 and a half is when you can start this. The biggest value, though, comes at 72 when you have required distributions. RMDs, required minimum distribution. Another great acronym. Yes, so, and there was actually a bill that came out, had nothing to do with it. That was RMD, if you remember that. And I, I got really that was mad about IRA. It. Oh, that was IRA. Never mind. Still, it just everything makes me Our mad. government does terrible with acronyms. So, the RMD is saying if you have an IRA or a 401k or any account that's been tax deferred, meaning you've put off the tax at 72, they're going to have a calculation based on your life expectancy to say you have to take out a certain amount of dollars each year so we can get some tax. Yeah. That's what they do. That's part of 
this whole IRA 401k structure. Now, they just tell you how much has to come out of that account each year. You can take more than that, but that's the minimum amount that has to come out. They give you flexibility to do whatever you want that. You could take it and spend it. You could put it into an investment account that's taxable and right. then do those tax loss harvesting. They just want their taxes. Harvesting. They just want their taxes. Now, they allow you up to $100,000 to give your money straight from the IRA to a charity. Has to be a qualified charity, a 501c3 charity or you know, yep, all the nonprofit. Yep. If you do that without taking possession of the money, you do not owe tax on that distribution. That's really but funny. it counts as part of your required distribution. Yeah. It's great. So where's the benefit in that? Well, if I have a $20,000 required distribution, so I have to take $20,000 out in this year, and let's say I only need $10,000 to live on. That's all I really need out of my IRA. So what am I going to do with the other 10000 Well, if I took the whole $20,000, I would owe tax. I could give to charity after tax what I have. Okay, I can. Yeah. And maybe I get a deduction, maybe not. Yep. But the bigger bang for my buck, because I'm actually saving tax dollars on that income, is I take that $10,000 I don't need, and I give it directly to charity. Right. And in doing so, the charity gets that tax, because I don't owe it anymore. So they're going to get more money to them. Yeah. It's great. If you're giving after age 72, you should be giving out of your IRA accounts. Directly. Directly out of your IRA accounts. Yep. Because you will not owe tax on that income. That's a really yep. good thought, Josh. Yep. All right. So I'm going to interrupt. Please I'm going to say we've been through three. Three. We got three more. Three more. Because there's six. But I have a dad joke of the week, and it's about taxes. Mm. And you're going to laugh. I'm ready. Glad you took a sip of water. I just swallowed now. the water and not going to spit it everywhere. Why was the seafood restaurant being investigated by the IRS? Ooh, I don't know. They were suspected of being a shell company in some fishy business. Oh, man. <laughs> I like it. So that's a good IRS tax joke. For you, in yes. between talking about ways to save money, but nice. we have three more, three more ways to potentially save money yes. on your taxes. Stay awake. So stay awake. Taxes. Number four, Josh. Give me number four. Yes. All right. So Roth conversions. Let's stick with those IRAs. So another thing you can do with your IRA money is take it from a pre-tax traditional IRA. 401k is pre-tax. You know, is your default. Anything that's not been taxed yet. And you can move it into a after-tax Roth mm-hmm. IRA. Now, anytime you do that, that becomes a taxable event right. because you're taking money out of that IRA. Now, because you're moving it straight into the Roth, that's great. You're going to never pay tax on that growth for the rest of your life. But because you moved it, that's a taxable event. So it's income. It's income. Yeah. And so a Roth conversion is moving that money and creating income. So what you're really trying to do is saying, okay, if I'm in the 12% tax bracket, I'm there. There's nothing I can do to get down to the 10. I'm comfortably in the 12. And for the foreseeable future, I'm either in the 12 or moving up to the 22. I may want to move some of that money now, locking in that guaranteed tax rate of 12% or whatever my effective rate is for that money. So you're paying tax. You're not avoiding any tax. What you are doing is moving that money to never be taxed again. Yep. And that's the key. Yeah. Is so whether you get taxed on that distribution now, or you wait till later, it's still going to be taxed at your income. The difference is once I move that over to the Roth, any additional growth going forward is not taxed. So it's really so it's, all about your tax bracket now. Yes. That matters. Versus, it's really now, now versus, versus future. Later. Yes. Because right, right. if I'm in the 24% now and I'm only going to be in the 12, I don't want to do a Roth conversion. You should, oh, yeah. You should theoretically always do it when your tax is going to be lowest. Yes. 
Also known as when your income is lowest. Yes. Yeah. Or if you anticipate higher tax rates in the future, that's the other reason why you might want to move some money. So if you say this 12% tax bracket, the government's going to be moving that up to 14. Well, you know, then you could start moving some money mm-hmm. over because you anticipate a higher tax rate. Yep. The other way or reason to think about this too is if I am, let's say, an older parent and I'm in the later stages and I have enough money where I'm comfortable with my retirement and I say, you know what? I am planning on using this as a legacy. I'm going to be giving it to my kids or grandkids or whoever. Man, I'm in a low tax bracket because I'm retired. I just have little income, not much. My kids are successful. They're in a higher tax bracket than me. A Roth conversion is actually a way to prepay the inheritance tax. Oh, yeah. Now, not inheritance as in the death tax, right. but the tax that the next people will have to pay. Because yep. if I inherit an IRA, I pay tax with my income brackets when I take the distributions. Yep. If I inherit a Roth IRA, I do not owe tax. I still have to take distributions, but it's non-taxed. That's beautiful. I've seen and experienced and been a part of meetings where parents have, in a sense, prepaid that tax for their kids, wow. saying, I'm 12, they're 24%. Makes more sense. I'll pay it. And I've even had the conversation where sometimes the kids have suggested, hey, if you do this, I'll gift you the tax money. Okay. I'll pay at 12 yep. for you. In a sense, so the parents do the Roth Everyone conversion. Everyone saves money yeah. there. The parents do a Roth conversion. They say, in doing so, I created $8,000 of additional tax. The kid says, thank you. I would have had to pay twice that, $16,000 so here's $8,000. Here's $8,000. I'm gifting it to you within the gift limits. Oh, yeah. So there's nothing weird about it, but gifting you back that tax burden. Wow. Everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. So there's some tax planning you can do there. Pretty neat. A lot of thought. Everybody has to be understanding that because if, if your kid's not understanding or on board and you call them up and say, hey, I just created 8,000 tax, can you pay me back? They'll say, what's happening? But this was really driven by the kids <laughs> yeah. saying, hey, I know I'm going to be in a higher tax break than you are. I would be more than happy to pay now mm-hmm. for that to happen. So anyway, long story short, that's an interesting caveat. Number five. Number five. Gifting. Gifting is important. Mm-hmm. And the last two actually involve gifting. True. This is the first one. So gifting appreciated stock. So going back to the gains harvesting, if you don't want to or don't have room in your tax brackets at that 0%, and let's say you're even in a high income, you're going to be paying 20% plus. And I say plus because there's actually an additional 3.8% tax they tack on top of that if you're in the mm-hmm. highest tax brackets. If you say, you know what, I will get more bang for my buck if I give away those gains instead yeah. of realizing them, you can actually gift your stock straight to a charity. And you could say, okay, I bought this share of stock for $5. It's now worth $50, $45 per share of these gains. I don't want to pay the tax on. I don't need to. I'm going to give it. So then you give them the shares directly. Don't sell them. No. You send the shares to that charity. They receive it. They can do whatever they want with it once they get it. They don't get taxed. So they can sell it right away. Yep. And they don't have to pay any tax on that gain. And so you get to forego the $45 of gains you would have paid tax on at 15, 20, whatever percent. And it's a deduction because you just made a charitable gift. If, as long as it fits in all your right. you know, the standard deduction versus itemize, all that fun stuff. Now that's awesome. So gifting appreciated stock is pretty cool. The other thing is, let's say I was going to write a check for $10,000 to the charity of my choice. I could instead gift appreciated stock up to $10,000 and then deposit that $10,000 into my account and rebuy that stuff. Oh, really? I reset my cost basis. Yeah, that's true. There's no wash sale. That's I didn't true. sell anything. Nope. You just gave I still it away. gave. I still gave $10,000. I'm oh. out. Whoops. I hit my microphone. 
I am out. He's getting excited. I'm at, I, I get excited <laughs> about taxes. I'm still giving $10,000. Yeah. I'm. St- it's viewed the same way. Yeah. If you looked at my balance sheet, I gave $10,000. But what I did was reset my cost basis along the way. a higher basis. Yes. So you have so less taxes in the future. I, I did. So that's an interesting and fun way of doing it is if you're thinking through and you have appreciated stock to say, hey, if I was already going to be giving some money and it was just after tax money that I have in my checking account... Might as well give this stock oh, yeah. and then replenish and rebuy it. So great way of doing it. Now, if let's say it's a big amount, let's say I had this big thing going on this year, I sold a business or something, I have a lot of tax burden and I'm looking for the best way to reduce some of that because I'm in a very high tax bracket. It's not going to be fun. And I know this is just kind of an anomaly. This is a great thing to do. You can lump future year's givings mm-hmm. to today to get a higher deduction in this big tax year. You do that by using a donor-advised fund. So this is number six. This is number six. It goes along with five because yeah. you can put gifted, appreciated stock In into a donor-advised yeah. fund. Yeah, DAF is the short for donor-advised fund. Another great acronym. So this concept is say, okay, the donor-advised fund is not your money. Once it goes in there, you've given it out of your estate. It's no longer your asset. Now, you still control it in that you get to pick where it goes. It has to go to a charity. Yep. But you're not limited to a time frame. You can put a bunch of money in this year and pay out to charities over the next 10, 15, however long you want. Mm-hmm. There's no rule. You can leave money in there and give it out over time. So that's where this strategy comes in. One, I could give appreciated stock. So drop it right in. I could sell it, reinvest it. Because again, now it's inside this it's in a wrapper. Vehicle. Yep. It's in a tax-free vehicle because it's going to charity. It's already You already got your deduction. is gone. So then I can sell it, reinvest it, or whatever I want to do with it. I still get all the fun tax benefits of gifting. Then I get to then decide when and how much I give out. Now, if I'm doing that in one year, and let's say I move $5,000 in, well, the itemized deduction versus the standard deduction becomes a problem. Most people claim the standard deduction because it's, mm-hmm. if you're married, finally joined, it's like $25 plus $1,000, right? And it just moved up a handful yeah. of years ago, and it's now... Yeah, it's yeah, huge. For sure. And so most people just don't have enough deductions to itemize it. So one thing you do is say, well, if I give $10,000 a year normally to charity, if I do five years worth of that, that's $50,000. I could put all that in in this year. I would then itemize because I have a big enough deduction. I would bring my taxes down. Mm -hmm. And then in the next five years when I'm not going to be doing that, I'm going to take the standard deduction like I normally do, but I have this big chunk of money that I'm giving out of. I've already set aside five years worth of giving that's in a, an account that I can then use to distribute. Yeah. That's a great tax strategy if you have the cash available in, in one year to give a future year's worth of giving. So I've seen that done a lot. It's very useful. The other nice thing is you can invest donor-advised funds if you want yep. to. And if you have the long enough time frame and you're comfortable with the risk to actually grow it and maybe even give more to charities than you would put in there. Absolutely. You don't get any additional deduction for that. No. It's just a benefit for the charities. Yep. Wow. Josh, that is some great information. Yes. Hopefully, we gave some ideas yeah. to start some wheels turning. Yes. It's still not too late. You can still talk with your CPA yep. or your advisor, but those are some great ideas to get those thoughts going. Now, Jessica Hanks, our yeah. colleague, She's put awesome on this job. webinar. Great webinar. Again, we're going to link that in the show notes. She has a lot of great resources on her website. So and there is more in that webinar. Oh, we yeah. just took one piece of her we whole, whole webinar. We skimmed it. But you should totally visit her website, mm-hmm. theeverydayadvisor.com, and we'll link that in the show notes as well. 
And you can subscribe her blog because she has a, a great blog that she great writes blog. for that. And we would love it if you would do that. But anyway, thank you for being here this week. Thank you for listening. Please share this episode. If you enjoyed it with friends and family, maybe you had someone asking about how to save money on taxes because mm-hmm. everyone wants to save money on taxes. Again, also love it if you'd subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Save money on taxes. Yep. And until next week, have a great week. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Invested Dads podcast. This episode has ended, but your journey towards a better financial future doesn't have to. Head over to theinvesteddads.com to access all the links and resources mentioned in today's show. If you enjoyed this episode and we had a positive impact on your life, leave us a review. Click subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Josh Robb and Austin Wilson work for Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Josh, Austin, or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Hicks and Zerker Capital Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. There is no guarantee that the statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be correct. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Indices are not available for direct investment. Any investor who attempts to mimic the performance of an index would incur fees and expenses, which would reduce returns. Securities investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. There is no assurance that any investment plan or strategy will be successful.